I'm going to share with you some scripture this morning uh, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. There's a few verses here. Starting in verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord, that's Yahweh. My soul rejoices in my God because he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn. Her salvation burns forth like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings will see your glory and you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. From the prophet Isaiah, I find it striking that we continue to go back to the, uh, the lectionary. This is the final Sunday in this uh, series that we're doing called Christmas 2014. A few people this morning said to me, Merry Christmas, when they greeted me. And uh, we have this kind of, uh, I don't know, schizophrenic relationship with Christmas as Christians because some of us, it's over, right? Christmas is over, baby. Uh, our house is like that. You know, the 26th is history, man. Um, in the church calendar, Christmas starts on Christmas Day and it lasts till Epiphany. Some of us know that, right? And so we're kind of in this time, this sweet, sweet time of celebrating the birth of Jesus. And that's where we're going to end this series um, that we're called Advent 2014. The good news, the good news about this Advent of Jesus is that he came, right? That he showed up. I mean, that Advent means the coming of Jesus. And, and we get so excited every year for Christmas because it means that Jesus shows up. That's the good news, Amen. And that, I mean, for real, like that Jesus shows up. We're going to talk about some things today from Scripture that, that, that manifest, that show the manifest glory of God in Jesus Christ. What we just read from Isaiah the prophet, that he will raise up a sprout of life from Israel, that he will give a new name and a new hope and a new promise to his people in the Messiah. Isaiah, the, the prophet who responded um, to God's call, here I am, send me, gets to say, God will do this for his glory, right? The psalm this morning we heard where he says, cry out, praise the Lord, alleluia, is what the, the word is in, in Hebrew. Praise the Lord for all he has done. We can uh, give him honor and glory all the days of our life. Um, this morning we're, we're going to wrap this up, and I was wondering, so how was your Christmas? Was it good? Did you have a good Christmas? For those of you who haven't been with us, we've been talking about the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, and touches of Christmas, what, how we experience this season. And I don't know if you're like me, man, but it, went, it goes so fast, doesn't it? Like you think a year is going to last forever and it lasts about a year, <laughs> you know what I mean? You think it's going to, you got so much time to get your plans done. Has anyone even thought yet about the promise they made, you know, January 1st of 2014? Anyone been thinking about that lately? 
How'd that work out for you this year? Or were you, I mean, just like me, like, wow, what just happened? 2014's over, you know? Uh, we experience Christ this time of year specifically, and I hope in a little way our conversation about seeing differently or, or, or listening to others differently has had an impact on how you experience Christmas this year. I really do hope that happened. Um, maybe little ways, you know, but I hope that you were given eyes to see or ears to hear something different that God is doing in Christmas that we can celebrate as believers in Jesus. Well, today, as we've been talking about all these things, we're going to end this where it, it all starts. I love the song selection today, by the way, how we go from Christmas to Easter, like how there's this, this narrative of God who loves us enough to not just come, but to die for us. The, the, the baby that's born in a manger that we celebrate so much is the one who has given for our sin, perfectly offered so that we can be free. Uh, today we finished this series with this reality of what Christmas is really about, and it's about this, that Jesus shows up. That's the truth, that Jesus shows up. And I mean in every sense of the word. He showed up 2,000 years ago. It means he shows up now, and it means that in the future, whatever you face, wherever you go, Jesus shows up in our lives. He, he rescues us in our time of peril. And um, the scripture we're going to read today is, is full of this idea of the promises of God manifest in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read um, the scripture here from the Gospel of Luke, and then we're going to pray together. Um, and I'll explain why in a moment, but I'm just going to read. Um, I'll pull this up actually for you. So this one's called Touch, right? It's this manifestation of God, and here we go. Let's see if I can push one more. I'll give you a page number there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, I'm on the tables around the space here. You can grab one and check it out. 716 is the page number. All right, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him, that's Jesus, to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with, that, with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He, uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts 
of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will piece your own soul too. There was also a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, and coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That's our scripture we're going to spend some time talking about. But I want to invite you to pray with me. And I want you to understand the reason that we pray. Because we believe this same Holy Spirit that's talked about in this text inspired the Bible to be recorded and inspires us to understand it. This is not a work of man, but of the Spirit of God. And so we're going to invite God's Spirit to teach us today together. So if you would, join me in prayer. Uh, Father God, we give you thanks and praise today in this most uh, holy of days where we celebrate the realization of your promise to Israel, that you would, you would send yourself, that you would send your son to redeem the world. And not just Israel, Father, but did you redeem us, all of us, Gentiles alike. Father, for your glory, for your goodness, for this creation story we've heard from the beginning that's manifest in Jesus Christ, we give you praise and glory today. We pray, Father, that as we enter into your word today, the word that we believe you inspire to be written, we pray that you would help us to understand it. We ask the same thing that we constantly ask from you. Give us eyes to see what you see. Give us ears to hear the word that you have for us. Lord, give us a heart that is open and soft to your truth a mind that's willing to be reshaped and reformed after your gospel. Help us today. We are sinful, broken people. We can do none of this ourselves. Our best offering is just garbage to you. But in your hands, even the biggest piece of garbage is beautiful. Your wisdom is beyond our greatest thought. So, Father, today, would you inspire us to understand your word? Would you inspire me to speak it rightly? inspire those gathered here to hear it as it's intended. Father, as we worship you, as we celebrate you, as we, as we share in your word today, would you bless us with your presence, with your glory, and with your wisdom. We ask you to do these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, praise God. He's so good. So we're going to talk through this idea. How many have heard this story before about Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem? Have you, yeah, heard the story? Uh, matter of fact, if you've been at Family Bible Church for any period of time, you know that when we do dedications, we, we cite this verse, man. We say, just like Mary and Joseph, just like Hannah in the temple, we talk about Hannah. In the same way, we say, we bring this child before God today. But I'm going to tell you something that this is... What's happening in, in Jesus is a little different. But I want to walk through some of the historic ideas behind what's happening. I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I've read this in the past, I just, you know, it's like Jesus showed up, right? A couple of profound things I want you to keep in mind here is that first is that, that Jesus is brought to the temple, right? 
But there's even more that's happening here because his family has brought him. I want you to read the first few verses here with me. It says, When the time of their, their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed. You see? There's a certain time in Hebrew culture where you're allowed to go worship again. You're allowed to go celebrate all that God is doing. I'll point out to you, by the way, that in, in verse um, 21, which we did not read today, it talks of Jesus' circumcision on the eighth day, right? Now, if you're like me, you're, you probably thought, well, on the eighth day, they went and had him circumcised, and they went to the temple, and they offered him to God, right? That's all one big motion. He's a newborn baby. He's so adorable. But actually, that had happened before as accord, in accordance with the law, but this was after their time of cleansing, of purification had passed, Right? Now, you can look this up if you want to, but this is actually recorded in the First Testament, and um, it's actually recorded in Leviticus 12. Now, I'm not sure who loves to read Leviticus for fun. I don't read it a lot, but I was amazed when I found this because what that means is that it had been eight days since Jesus was born, and then about 33 days since Mary had given birth, and that's prescribed in, in uh, Leviticus 12. If you give birth to a son, you wait 33 days before entering the temple courts. And so at this perfect moment, at this moment of obedience, and don't miss this, obedience to the promises of God laid out in Leviticus, they brought Jesus to the temple. And this is a big deal. Um, sometimes, I, I read something this week that someone was talking about uh, criticizing Christians, which is fair. It's fair to criticize Christians. We get a lot of stuff wrong. But one of the things they talked about was, you know, kind of asking the question, do, do Christians understand that Jesus was a Jew? And, and this text, Luke, when he records this, he is firmly cementing Jesus in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish ritual, if you will, in the, in the Jewish religion. But more than that, because I think what's happening is he's rooting Jesus in the promises of God that have began since the beginning of time. Sometimes we'll read the Bible and we'll read like, well, the New Testament is still good stuff, but the Old Testament doesn't really matter. But you see, that's not Jesus' understanding, nor Mary or Joseph's. The Old Testament was the promises of God. We talked in the last week about Mary's faithfulness. Uh, Do with me as you will, right? Uh, I am your servant. And that sounds a lot like what we heard from the prophets, the calls of obedient um, saints in the past. Do what you want with my life, Lord, because your promises always come true. And in the same way, when they bring Joseph, uh, Jesus is brought um, to the temple, he's brought with this idea that we are fulfilling all the obligations of the law, that we have been commanded. Look at, the, according to the law that Moses had been completed, and then look at this, when Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Okay, a um, couple of things I want to say about this too. I love that Joseph and Mary show up. I've talked about this before a little bit, but I think it's a striking thing, especially in our culture now, talking about broken families. You know what I mean? Like, we kind of really get down on broken families, like, oh, broken, blended, blah, 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 you know, and, and, we, and sometimes, and listen to me this morning, sometimes as Christians we go, but the nuclear family is perfect, <laughs> you know what I mean? And the nuclear, what I don't know if that means, nuclear, <laughs> you know, like it's about to explode or something, it's, you know, uh, that's how ours feels sometimes, <laughs> um, as if 
That is God's only plan. But now listen to me for a minute. I'm always struck. This was, I always came from a blended family myself. I was blown away by the fact that Joseph was a stepfather. I've told you that before, but it still freaks me out, man, to think that Joseph was a stepfather, right? But look at what happens in this text. Joseph fulfills his obligations as a father to Jesus. There was someone who was writing about this text, and they made a great point. They said, to anyone watching from the outside, they would not recognize any abnormality in Joseph and Mary coming with Jesus to the temple. Well, that's his dad. Of course he brings his son to the temple. Joseph, though, what's he thinking? He's walking in there, and he knows that Jesus is not his, but his. You know what I mean? Like, he, he didn't create Jesus, but Jesus is his responsibility, his obligation. He's going to father Jesus, even though he's not the father of Jesus. There's some things happening there that we can't miss in the text. And it's all summed up in this beautiful little verse that says, when the time had come, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple. Just like they were supposed to. Like any good father would. I just thought that was interesting. We, and I'm not, man, I, I, I know God blesses families, but I, I just know he does so much more in hearts and willingness. Uh, I love that Joseph is willing to go, willing to marry Mary, which we already heard about a few weeks ago, Right? So Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, here's something else I want to point out. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, right? And this actually comes from Exodus 13, and I'm going to turn there. You don't have to if you don't want to, um, but I want to turn here because I want you to hear something that, again, I found just striking about this uh, text. Give me one second to flip to it. Um, this idea is rooted in, the deliverant, in God delivering his people, Israel, right? Um, Exodus 13, uh, 1 and 2, and then I'm going to read uh, 11 through 15. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal, right? So God says every firstborn son is mine. And, and, and that's something about Jesus. We know that, that the scripture says that um, Mary was a virgin, and therefore he was the firstborn son of Mary as well. And, and God says in, in the law that those sons belong to me, and that you're to bring them to me, bring them to my temple. In, in verse 11, we're going to pick it up. After the Lord brings you into the land of Canaan, Canaanites, and gives it to you as he promised on oath to you and your forefathers, you are to give over to the Lord the firstborn offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord, redeemed uh, with a lamb, every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. I'm not going to talk about break a donkey neck this morning. It's weird. <laughs> but it's in the Bible. Check it out. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the days to come, when your son asks you, listen to this, what does this mean? Say to your son, with a mighty hand, Yahweh brought us out of Egypt, out of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. And this is why I sacrificed to the Lord, Yahweh, the first male offspring of every womb, 
and I redeem, I redeem each of my firstborn sons. Okay, I know this is a little, you know, heavy, thick, or whatever, you know, but so we're talking about the firstborn son, Jesus, being brought to the temple, and then there's this other word that's mentioned in Exodus that says, and I redeem them. I believe it's in the book of Numbers is recorded that the Levite, the priestly uh, class, is created to, to pay the price for the firstborn sons of Israel. And there's a few of them left over after you do some math. And I think this is in um, Numbers uh, 3, if you want to read it later. But there's some left, like 247 people are left in Israel that aren't redeemed by the Israelites. There wasn't enough Israelites to cover all of them. I think it's like 27,000 Levites were given over to the priesthood. And so he says, for all those who are left unredeemed, bring an offering to the Levites. And so it became the temple custom when you had a firstborn son that you would bring them to the Lord and you would redeem them by paying the fee to the Levites so that you could what? Take your son home. Because he belongs to the Lord. You have no right claim over him. But the Lord says, if you come and offer my temple and you redeem him, he's yours. You must pay a price. And so all these things happen in this very small passage in the Gospel of Luke, uh, which is, I think, so beautiful. Um, so he, he took them in as it is the firstborn to be consecrated and to offer sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord. Um, so you have Mary and Joseph. They, they come to the temple and they offer Jesus. Uh, they redeem him with the Levite, the Levitical um, priests, and then they get to take him home. One other thing I'll point out to you, um, which it should be consolation for those of us who, who feel like we're ill-prepared to parent. <clears throat> the, the, the law actually required that you would bring a lamb with you, a firstborn unblemished lamb to sacrifice when you brought your son uh, to the temple. Um, but there's this funny little uh, allowance in the law for people who can't afford it. You know, uh, If you can't afford to pay the price to have your son properly redeemed, you could bring two pigeons, two doves, two turtle doves, as a matter of fact. I remember that connection, right? The song. I always wonder, what's a turtle dove for? Two turtle doves redeems a son. If you're poor, it's your offering to the Lord. If you don't have an unblemished lamb to offer. And, and guess what the Gospel of Luke records of our holy family when they show up? Uh, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord every firstborn male is to be consecrated unto the Lord and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law and look what Luke records a pair of doves or two young pigeons so it seemed that Luke did not record the requirement for a lamb to be offered little but I find that so fascinating at his offering I would say this and I said, it might give you some encouragement if you're, if you're a young parent and you feel like you're ill-equipped. You don't have all your stuff together to parent properly. Uh, God makes a way. God makes a way. And, and Mary and Joseph probably didn't have very much. Uh, they weren't well off, apparently, if they could only bring the two doves and nothing else to offer for their son. Wait, their son Jesus. <laughs> their son conceived by the Holy Spirit. And all they had was two doves. Whew. Praise God for his faithfulness. So into this moment, um, we hear the story of this guy named Simeon uh, who's been waiting for the revelation 
for Israel, waiting for the promised Christ. And if the story was about uh, family bringing in their son to the temple, it'd be like any other story happens a hundred times a day. I don't know how many times it happened a day, but it happened a lot. Um, but at this time, whenever Jesus is brought, I love this, it says that the Holy Spirit comes on Simeon and he begins to speak, to prophesy, right? It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die, don't miss it, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He had given, been given a promise by God that he would not die until Jesus showed up. Not knowing it was Jesus, by the way, just knowing it was going to be the Christ. God made me a promise that I would see with my own eyes Jesus. Um, I don't know, <clears throat> as we experience Christmas together, I don't know if, if, if we expect to see Jesus, you know what I mean, in our lives. I mean, I don't know if we, if we even want that promise to God, from God, you know. I know for some of you, we talk about salvation and, and Christ and, you know, I wonder if some of you want to know the promise. I wonder if some of you are, are afraid. You, you have some part of yourself from when you were so little and you've been disappointed in life and things have been broken and, you, and there's some part of your heart and you just say, man, I want Jesus to be real, but what if he's not? I, I want Jesus to show up in my life, but what if he doesn't? When I look around our culture, you know what I see? I see so much materials produced for people who, who, are, who are hopeless, you know? They're people who, there's kind of making allowances for that, you know, people who Jesus doesn't show up for. Some people who Christian, criticize Christianity talk about that issue. Yeah. But how many of us who claim Christ ourselves are afraid to believe the promise? Afraid to believe that God will do exactly what he said he's going to do. And that he's going to do it, you know, despite you, in, in spite of you, not because, just because of himself. He's going to keep his promises to his people. How, how many of you dare to, to pray a bold prayer like, Jesus, I need you to show up. I need you to come into my life. I need to really know you. I mean, some of you not read enough scripture to know that there are passages in the Bible that should give us pause. Do you know Jesus? Does he know you? Are you included in his promise to this world? It's a bold prayer to pray. I've, I've heard stories of, of friends of mine who have, who have uh, cried out to God and he's delivered them, Right? I, I, it's so funny that I have to tell like as a third person because I've had the experience myself. I desperately need Jesus and he shows up. How much more this time of the year should we trust in his promises and be willing to call on his name for what we need? Whatever it is. How much more should we believe that he's keeping his promises? See, it's really funny because 
we had Christmas Eve service here. We had Christmas Day activities we did. And, 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 and I found something in myself. I'm just going to confess this to you all. I hope you don't mind this morning. But I found something in myself that when I would talk to adults, I would say, hey, how was your Christmas? Like, oh, it's great. And you would tell me some good stuff about Christmas. I got to see some family. We had some great gatherings. We had a good, you know, good time or whatever. But you know what I really noticed is when I talked to really small people, really little people, you know, did anybody talk to a little person about Christmas this year? Did any of you get down on your knees? Remember Mom Elaine talked about that? Look a child in the eye and ask him a question. And I would ask them, how was your Christmas? And, and they would look at me like with this kind of blank stare, you know? And then what was the next line out of my mouth? Can anyone guess it? Joel, oh, you're so close, right? I didn't use the S word, <laughs> Santa. <laughs> but I got down and I said, did you get any cool presents? Oh, man, I got this and that. One little kid, I was riding on a bus with him on uh, Christmas Day, if you can believe that story. And this little kid was trying to tell me all the stuff he got, and I couldn't understand anything. I'm guessing getting old. I didn't understand anything. He was like two, but he was just going on and on about what he got for Christmas. Ah, wait, though. See, in some little part of my heart, I'm just going to confess this. I thought, man, here I am, preacher of the gospel, believer in Jesus. And all I can think to ask a kid is, did you get any cool presents? Because that's what we're teaching our kids it's about. That's not about being mean, right? But that's like, oh, what are we doing? So this, and, but by the way, if you want to have a conversation with a two or three or four-year-old, ask them what presents they got, because that's where the conversation comes in. And that is that's awesome. I'm not mad about that. It's fun. But there's something else that's happening in Christmas. As a matter of fact, someone would say just remembering Jesus. Put the Christ in Christmas. I know some of you really have made a big deal of that, and you capitalize C-H-R-I-S-T, Christmas. You know, we got to really make it. That's true. But do you actually expect Jesus to show up? Do you now expect Jesus to show up in your life where you need him? I'm not sure that many, many of us really do. Well, Simeon's different, man. He believed that God would keep his promise, and he believed that God was going to show up in the Messiah, and he was eager for the day. He was waiting for the day. As a matter of fact, he was waiting for the day so he could die, <laughs> you know, a happy man. Remember that? If I die a happy man, if this happened, Simeon said, if I see Jesus with my own eyes, I will die a happy man. And as soon as he sees Jesus, he says, sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. You can Send me to the great hereafter. You can invite me to join you for eternity because my soul is satisfied in Jesus. He goes on to say amazing things about Jesus. My eyes have seen what your salvation, which what you have prepared in the sight of all the people, a light of revelation to Gentiles. Look at that right away. I mean, it's so funny that later on Paul and uh, um, Peter having this big debate about Gentile revelation because here Simeon says it, it's a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The, the power, the manifestation of promises you made for Israel are being fulfilled. Um, I love that. Verse 33, you can't miss this. The child's mother and father marveled at what was said about Jesus. Even they, Mary, who had been told... Um, um, by, by an angel that she'd be having this child. She had him as promised, right? Joseph, who'd been encouraged to keep the faith and marry Mary anyway, had seen Jesus be born, believed his wife, and, and in this moment, those two who had seen so much of God's provision, so much 
of his glory. Marvel at God's faithfulness. Marvel at Simeon's confession of who Jesus is. They marveled at what was said about him, that is Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, look, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. We don't even have time to go into that today. That is, that is a great little passage. Um, th this idea that Jesus in our life gives us the opportunity to, uh, well, a nice way to say it is confess sin. But, you know, when you think about the way he was opposed by the, 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 the religious leaders of the time, it was all this hatefulness, all this darkness that came out of them when they were confronted with Jesus. And, and, it's, and I say that not judgmentally because it happens with me too. In the presence of, of Christ, these things that, that I confess with my mouth and I realize in the light of Christ, they're sin-filled. They're wrong. They're not of God. They're evil. And they're in me. And that's what Simeon says, that, that he'll be assigned to be talked against and that the, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed or laid bare or shown for what they will, are. And then he has this little add-on. A sword will pierce your own soul too. I, I don't know exactly what that means. Um, I can't help but see the cross in it. I can't help but imagine uh, as Mary um, uh, sees her son killed at 33, is the best estimate, years old, on a cross, willingly dying, without explanation for her, not understanding what her son is doing, and yet um, how much that must have affected her in the moment to lose not just, as everyone, a Messiah, a Savior, but losing her own son. Uh, so all that stuff is wrapped up in this manifestation of Jesus. Now here you go. Then there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of uh, Phanuel. I'm going to say that twice just to see if I can do it right, um, of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow till she was 84. And so I, I just, and she was night and day fasting in the temple, um, and she came up in that moment and gave thanks to God and spoke about the child who, to all who were, who were listening. You have another picture of a, of a faithful woman who is there waiting, you know, there observing the things that God is doing, and there letting God be her husband in a way because she was only married seven years. She probably got married pretty young, and then she had lived till she was 84 years old in the temple courts, um, singing praise to God and thanking him in this moment for what he is revealing in Jesus Christ, right? All these things happen. All the fulfillment, all, all the uh, Levitical promises, uh, his parents' obedience, right? The obedience of Mary and Joseph. All these things happen because Jesus shows up. Because the Holy Spirit is guiding them. Because he is present with them. And, um, and, and the same thing here for, um, with Anna. All these things manifest because Jesus shows up in their life. When, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, uh, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. See, and, that, and, and, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Um, I love that idea. We don't hear much more about Jesus' own life. We hear a story about the temple when he's like 12, and he stays behind. We know that story, but other than that, we don't hear a lot about how he's raised. But in the redemption, they get to take Jesus home and raise him as their own. 
Um, so, so many things here that are happening. Uh, I, I wonder in our own lives, you know, how do things change because of Jesus? Actually, um, God's been showing me something that we'll be talking about in 2015. Um, but things always change when Jesus shows up. Like He always changes things. Uh, I can't think of a story or a time when he showed up and nothing happened. You know what I mean? And they were just like they were before. <laughs> you don't hear that story, man. Not to say we manifest false change so we can profess Jesus, but that we, when we see Jesus, he changes everything. When we know Jesus, he changes everything. And uh, that becomes our story then. Our story becomes his story. So here's the truth. Um, that God's presence in Christmas is more than we could ever hope for or imagine. And it's completely the point of Christmas. It's completely the reason to celebrate. It's completely the idea that God is trying to get across in Jesus' birth. That Jesus Christ matters to every soul on the planet by the way, not just those who believe, but every person. Jesus matters to every person on the planet. I'm going to read from Galatians 4, a few verses. The Apostle Paul, he writes to the church, and he talks about the importance of Christ in our life. Okay, and this is what he says in, in chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, he's talking of Jesus' birth, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. Because you are sons, God sent his spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who causes us to call out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Paul, Paul always writes stuff. I feel like I gotta get off the top shelf when Paul writes letters, you know. But what he's saying is that the spirit that at the perfect time, God sent his son to redeem sinners, to redeem those who were under the law and oppressed, and, and to set them free. And not only that, but listen now, he gave them the spirit that lives in them that causes them to call out to him as Abba, or Father. And some of you might have heard it, you know, this idea of being daddy, that my father, my, my father, that I belong to you. There's something that happens in knowing Jesus as Savior that is very much like what happened to Jesus himself, where while he had Joseph there with him, he saw his father in heaven, God, his father. You remember that was a lot of the scandal of his life. Well, your dad's right here. No, my dad is in heaven. My father is revealing all things to me. I wonder this morning for you, when Paul says that's the promise we have in Christ, that God is our Father, that the Spirit of the Lord that's in us calls us to call out to Him, Father, Dad. I wonder today, do you have that Spirit in you? Do you have that Spirit in you? Or I wonder, and I'm just asking, but I wonder, are you thinking that somehow there's nothing beyond the ordinary in your life? And that your earthly father is the best you can do? And that there's no hope for you beyond what you can see, right? With your own carnal eyes, or hear with your own, or think with your own limited imagination? Or do you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you?
Because Paul says that's the mark of a believer. That's the mark of a saint. That's the mark of the redeemed. I'm going to close with this idea, right? Jesus showed up in our lives. Jesus gives, pours out his spirit on us to cause us to call out to him. He redeems us. He causes us to believe, to be saved because of him. And in, in that same way, we are called to, to go and show up other places, to go with Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, to go where he'll go. All these things tie together. The willing servant's response, I'll go, I'll do that. It's a sign of the Spirit in you, right? And I want to be really clear, not manipulated by man, because it's so easy to do, not to keep people around you happy, but to know that your Father in heaven is calling you to do it, calling you to follow, calling you to obey, calling me to obey. That's the voice we should listen to, and that's the voice you must know to be saved. I'm going to ask you to pray with me one more time this morning, and then we're going to, we're going to um, sing one more song together, I believe. Um, but I'm going to ask you to pray. If you don't know God in that way, just dare to ask Jesus to show up in your life. And if, and if you do, and you've just kind of gotten overwhelmed with life and you've forgotten, today's a chance to renew that, man, and just say, I'm going to know again. Show me again. Lead me again. Take over again. You know, let me obey again. I've been, I hear your voice, but I've been drowning it out with the noise of my life. I want to follow you. All my life to matter. If that's you, you can pray that prayer today too. This is all about God though. It's all about God and obedience to him. Pray with me if you would. Father, today we give you thanks and praise. We thank you for a simple story of a, of a faithful family bringing this uh, manifestation of your love to your presence. Father God, this un, uh, almost conceivable idea that we are fully redeemed in Jesus and sons and daughters and heirs, co-heirs with Christ in your kingdom. Father, for friends, they're here today, but they just feel like this far from me. I can't be included in this promise. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach them in their innermost being that they belong to you and that you know them better than they know themselves, and that you know the next step of their life better than they could ever plan or hope to, to know it. Father God, would you help them to see the light? Would you be the light in their life? Would you wrench their heart? Would you break it? Would you frustrate their plans? Would you manifest your glory? Would you give them a whole new heart and mind in Jesus Christ? That's for your glory. I mean, it's for your glory. You're the only one who can do it, but it's for our good. We are so blessed when we're recreated in your image. Uh, Father God, uh, for all of us who know you and who've heard the, the voice, you're, you're calling to us in our lives. I pray that we'd be obedient to you. I pray that we would seek you out, that we would search you with all of our hearts, that we would pursue you all of our days, and we would just follow you no matter what. And that as we heard in the text this morning, that we'd be those who found at the end still saying, I am satisfied in you. You have kept your promises to me. You are worthy of praise. Oh, how I thank you for the testimony of the saints. What a blessing and encouragement it is to me. May we be that to one another. May we just follow you all the days of our life. 
And uh, Father, I just pray that as we go into these places that we would bring the aroma of Christ, that we would show up, that we would sound like Jesus, that we would look like Jesus, that we would, you know, um, just engage the way he engaged, and that we would just really be part of his story in this world. We can't do that without you, Father, so we only go with you. But teach us to obey, teach us to follow, teach us to uh, comply with what you have for us. And may we, with all the saints of all history, continue to cry out, Abba, Father, hallelujah, our Savior is born. We love you so much, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.